Well, hello, everyone. Happy New Year and happy new decade and all of that. Welcome to 2020. Let's just uh, maybe greet all of our campuses everywhere. Make some noise for uh, Bel Air and Edgewood and Abingdon, everyone that's, that's watching online. It's a good way to all join together. It's a good way to start uh, the first weekend of the year. I don't know what else you have planned for this year. Uh, one of the things I have planned, I'm going skiing later this winter. Now, I've been, I've been skiing three times in my life. And uh, this will be uh, an exciting time because uh, my daughter's coming. It'll be her first time. And the three times I've been skiing were in Colorado. And anytime someone hears that, they advise me not to go skiing around here for fear of dis- being disappointed. Uh, so far, I've taken that advice. And now my parents live in Colorado. It makes it even more accessible and affordable. And we're looking forward to uh, doing that again. Now, the three times that I've been, uh, two of them, I was younger. I was 14 and 15. I went back-to-back years. And then uh, the third time, I was about 30 years old. I'm 38 now. And this, this most recent time that I went as an adult, I remember looking forward to that with great anticipation. And it was because I remembered skiing as about the most thrilling thing that I had ever done. Uh, those trips that I took in, uh, when I was a teenager were so memorable. Part of it was because I was with my dad and my uncle, and so that was great. But also just as an activity, screaming down the mountain and swerving in and out and carving your path and racing to the bottom, all the different runs that you could go on, each one different than the next, multiple mountains to explore. I mean, it was the funnest uh, thing that, I, that I'd experienced. Now, I wasn't a great skier. I'm still not a great skier. I uh, spent the first half day learning that first time, lots of wobbling, lots of wipeouts, but you pick it up. And as I kept going, I gained more and more confidence, and I was able to take more and more chances and go faster and faster and cut sharper and sharper. And the point is, I was good enough to just have an absolute blast. And, and part of the fun is the wiping out, right? I mean, that's, that's part of it. You, you go and you, you try. I got that teenage adrenaline just driving me to try harder runs and go at greater speeds and try higher jumps. And yeah, sometimes you take a header. But I'm 15 years old and basically invincible. And the thrill and the speed and the adventure and the risk and the discovery all came together for what I remember as an amazing, action-packed, adrenaline-fueled, twice-in-a-lifetime-at-that-point experience that that now, after a decade and a half, I was going to get to do it again. That's what was in my head as I was approaching this this third trip, which was again going to be with my dad and my brother and some other family. So we we were looking forward to that. Now, when I got up to the top of the mountain, uh, there were some other things in my head. And, and I didn't really put those thoughts there. I, no, I had a clear vision of what skiing was, and that's what I imagined that, that I was going to do. It's just that after we, we got off the lift for the first time, and I began to kind of feel the skis underneath me and recondition my body to what this was like, I, I just became aware of uh, the two knee surgeries that I'd had on my right knee in my 20s. Um, no, I, I, nothing hurt. I wasn't in pain. I, I was healthy. I was active. I was playing sports. But, but as my skis shifted over the uneven snow, I just began to think about, you know, the amount of torque that these six-foot skis on the bottom of my feet could place on my knee if they were to catch an edge. And I was thinking, you know, I, I got a plate and five screws in my left hip from another surgery that I'd had. And... Um, well, my hips aren't just as strong or as flexible as they were, were as when I was a teenager. And again, I, I'm healthy. I'm not, not on any doctor's restrictions. I'm active. I'm young and spry by, by most accounts. But, you know, it just kind of occurred to me, this thing that I'm doing, skiing, it's like all knees and hips. That's, that's what it is. That's what you use to do this thing. Well, I suppose your back absorbs quite a bit of shock, too, especially if you fall. I wonder what my chiropractor would think of me doing this. 
Now, I didn't even know what a chiropractor was when I was 15 years old. But I'd seen a little bit more of the world now. And part of adjusting to being an adult meant for me having to get adjusted every once in a while. And growing up, too, also came with more responsibility. Like, I had to even pay for this trip myself this time. You know? not, not to mention, I got rent and monthly bills and, and all of that. So I had a job to support my li- uh, our livelihood. Yeah, our livelihood. It's not just me anymore. I'm married with children at this point. And so there's people waiting for me back home, um, counting on me. It's not just my mom's voice saying, oh, be careful. I mean, I learned to drown that out a long time ago. It's, it's chorus of voices now. Be careful. Be safe. Come home in one piece. And, and again, I mean it when I said I wasn't like immediately conscious of all of this. I wasn't talking about this with other people and being this cynical drag on the experience. No, I, I went. I did the runs. I had a, a good time. I was comfy on the skis. I went fast enough. I could slalom right and left. And, and my body held up. And it, it was good. I mean, I was skiing in Colorado. But, but as we uh, were riding up the lift to, to go up to what would be our last run down, I just was kind of reviewing the experience. And, and yeah, great time with my dad and my brother, enjoyed that, uh, good exercise, uh, no injuries, this beautiful landscape and uh, the scenery, and, and just a good time to retreat. Uh, but I was very aware at that point, with the trip now about over, that my experience of skiing was quite different from what I knew skiing to be. Skiing was, was something, it was associated with words like exhilarating and breathtaking and thrilling and, and daring and adventurous. And, and well, the, the, the thing that I had just done, it, it just wasn't those things. And as I reflected further on the skiing that I did and the way that I did it, it became clear that, well, it was indeed all of those uh, sorts of 30-year-old thoughts and fears and concerns, subconscious or conscious or, or whatever, they were shaping my experience on the mountains. And I may not even have recognized it at the time, but certainly they were at play every time I chose a run or made a cut or set my speed or etched my path. But I realized I, I didn't wipe out once. I didn't, I didn't fall one time. Not because I'm so great a skier, but because I didn't take any chances. Oh yeah, I got moving. I felt the wind in my face. I carved up the snow. I was strapped in. I mean, I I went skiing. I looked like a skier. But I played it safe. Approaching every bump, rounding every turn, through every gap, down every path, including the last one, I played it safe. As a result, skiing became something different than I thought it was. And I couldn't help but go home a little bit disappointed. Now, if my mom were listening right now, she would say, oh, good job, Luke. You have grown so much. Right? <laughs> and, and certainly my wife is appreciative of the fact that I showed restraint and caution on the slopes. And she'll be doubly glad if I do the same again this time around. And nobody worry, I will be taking the 38-year-old approach to skiing and not the 15-year-old approach. Because thrill-seeking is not the ultimate most important thing. And I am usually uh, mature enough to understand that. But, does any part of you understand my disappointment? You feel the, the disconnect that I was feeling? Maybe you've never been skiing. But, but do you know what it's like to embark on something with daring and gusto and lofty aspirations? Only to, after you get down the road a little bit, you sort of lose your nerve. And you start to settle and you shrink your vision. Uh, have you ever uh, been in a situation where you've become aware of or preoccupied with how much there was to lose? 
Have you ever played it safe only to later be suspicious about if that was the right play? Have you ever been in something long enough, whether it's at a job or in a relationship or part of a team, to to where uh, what was once, what started as something that was new and exciting and adventurous and ripe with possibilities has now become uh, mundane and watered down and frankly a shadow of what it once was because of cowardice or cynicism or complacency or comfort. You used to ante up, now you hunker down. You used to rise to the challenges, now you complain about the problems. You used to dream but now you doubt. Well, if you happen to find yourself in the play it safe, hunker down, count the cost mode, you're probably not going to be in the mood for the series that we're starting today. It's called Take the Dare. Take the Dare. On the other hand, if you find yourself in that kind of a mode, well, then maybe this is exactly what you need. Maybe you need to be dared. You ever taken a dare? Surely all of us have at some point, something big or small. Uh, We've played truth or dare, uh, done something. A lot of the examples that maybe you were thinking of are the kinds of things we wouldn't be comfortable talking about in church. Um, And that's because, let's be honest, a lot of dares are dumb. They're just dumb. Like when I dared my friend to drive his car over this wooden pedestrian bridge in the park. Even dumber because I was in the car with him when he did it. Right? Yeah. Thankfully, we were okay. Not really, uh, you were 19 years old, not really doing a risk-reward analysis on that before taking it on. And I wouldn't dare you to go on YouTube and to search for dares because a lot of them would just be dumb. Lots of dares are dumb. And then, some dares are devilish. Some dares are devilish. You know, they tempt us with things that would cause us to compromise who we are if we were to take them. They're, they're devious, uh, maybe alluring in the moment, but no, with a level head we'd say, no, that, that's wrong, that's harmful, it's illegal, it's corrupt, I'm not going to do that. The devil himself dared Jesus, hey, jump off this building, surely God's angels will catch you, make a name for yourself. Jesus told him to go jump in a lake. Uh, but G- uh, Jesus isn't the only one to, to know or to be tempted with something that would uh, compromise his integrity to, to think about taking a dare. I mean, surely we all know some dares are, are devilish. Some dares are dumb and some are both. But, but some dares are divine. Some dares are divine. And as we start a new year and launch into a new decade, the invitation before all of us is to stare a divine dare in the face and reckon with whatever ways God is calling you to trust him in 2020. Would you do that? Will you be open? Will you listen to whatever ways that God is is speaking to you in the early days of this year? And then will you dare to do something about it? Dare, Dare to act. Dare to trust, dare to believe, dare to try, dare to, 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 to dream. Really, what it comes down to is, is, will you dare to live as if God is real? Will you dare to live as if God is real? You know, it can be difficult to take a dare if, when you feel like you're the only one that's doing it. But when a whole group of people is in on it, then it, it has a way of emboldening everyone. And if you got Ben's note earlier this week, you know that we have tried to encourage some daring activity and create ways to share that among our community. So if you, if you have a dare that you're taking on, it could, it could be a fun thing or a funny thing, 
or it might be very serious about the ways that you're trusting God in 2020. Uh, whatever it is, make, make sure it's safe and legal and not dumb or devilish. And you can get a few seconds of it on video. You can send it in to dare at mountaincc.org. You can post it online with the hashtag MCCTakeTheDare. And then follow our, our social media channels uh, during this series uh, for uh, some more dares in ways that might encourage all of us as we, uh, as we go throughout these next few weeks. So as we begin today with this series and prepare to hear God's word to us, whatever it is, we'll just come out and, and say it. The, the ways that God is daring us in 2020 are going to have to do with things like how we spend our time and, and our money and uh, with our relationships and how we set our priorities. And really, it's a whole life kind of thing. It's the beginning of the year. It's a good time to be thinking about all of those things anyway. And we'll be looking through two lenses, both What is God saying to me individually? How is he daring me to trust him? And then collectively, we've already got our sights set on our focus on this big dare in 2020 to launch the Aberdeen campus. It's a big, exciting thing. None of us can do it alone. How can we take that dare together so that we could spread God's blessing in all the ways that God desires? So it's a full-on dare to live in, in every respect as if God is real. A dare to to do something. Do something that matters. Don't just have faith. No, like act on it. Live that faith out. Try. Take a chance. Use the gifts that God has given you. A dare to, to ask God, what should I give? Again, don't just have faith. No, give in a way that demonstrates that faith, that demonstrates trust, and and that puts God first. Put your money where your heart is. Actually, Jesus says, where your money goes reveals your heart. Dare you to devote them both to God. A dare to to reach out to someone. Again, if God's love for me and you is real, then let's dare one another to reach out and share that love with others. A dare to encounter God in a fresh way. Dare you to snap out of what's comfortable or to just, from just uh, going along, keeping up some religious routine as if that's all this whole thing is about and actually experience the living God. Are you ready to take the dare? Will, Will you live as if God is real? And what would it look like if all of us, in our church, in our community, in our world, what would it look like if all of us did that? Will you? Take the dare. That's what this series is going to be about, and it will culminate with an opportunity to make a commitment. Uh, We're certainly not uh, the first people to be challenged in this kind of way. If you have been listening to God through his scriptures, the closer you get to that, the more you're going to hear words of daring and testing and even provocation. Oh, sure, God speaks words of comfort and welcome and peace to those of us when we need it. But at the same time, he's not afraid to create a disturbance, a conflict within us when we need to be prompted or prodded to become the people he's created us to be or to do the things he's called us to do. Some dares are divine. And we're not the first to be divinely dared. So as we get, uh, as we go to the Bible, uh, just... Uh, review something with me because uh, you might have missed it, right? We just came through Christmas. And the announcement of Christmas, the foundation of the Christian faith, is that something happened. Something, or someone, rather, broke into history. It's good 
news. It's not good advice. It's not good ideas. It's not good religion or spirituality. It's good news. As in the world is actually different now because God visited it in a real flesh and blood kind of way. It really happened. God broke into history and it changed the world. Sorry if all the sentimentality of the season didn't suggest to you that something truly revolutionary was afoot. But the root of our faith and of Christmas is that God has intervened and the revolution has begun. Didn't look like it in the baby born to peasants. Didn't look like it in the wandering hippie sounding rabbi. Didn't look like it in the crucified criminal hanging on the cross. But, but the birth story didn't end in death. It ended in new birth and continues with a resurrection from the grave. Something that, again, is not just uh, a religious doctrine or a concept or a state of mind, but an event that actually happened. The good news that broke at Jesus' birth is now spreading through the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. For that same Spirit is planted in people who are commissioned to go forth in power and with confidence that God is still alive and well in this world. And therefore, that makes a difference. It means that love actually does win. That peace can be claimed even among the wreckage. That joy is not bound by our circumstances. That redemption is possible for prodigals. Captives to sin are being set free. Strongholds are being torn down. The weak are made strong. The faithful are rewarded. The grieving are comforted. The humble are exalted. And the proud are humbled. The old is being made new because the love and power and light of God has dawned on the world. And even though people love darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, the darkness did not and cannot and will not overcome it. Something happened to the world in Jesus, and good news came. Will anybody live as if it was true? That's That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to know. Will anybody dare to live as if that's true? Hebrews is it's near the end of our Bibles, uh, written there to a group of people who, who certainly seem to have uh, begun their faith journey with, with gusto, uh, with a kind of bold, screaming down the mountain, daring kind of faith. And the writer there is saying to them, now remember, he's writing to people who are living right in the aftermath of everything I just described. And he says, remember, those early days, right after you'd received the light, right after the Spirit of Christ began to be present and at work in your midst, and, and how you endured in a great conflict, it was full of suffering for you. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and, and you were being persecuted. Other times you stood side by side with people who were being treated in that way. You suffered alongside those in prison. You, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. They were just taking your stuff away and you, you didn't even care because you knew you had greater and more lasting possessions because of the promise of God. They were living as if that dead guy actually came back to life. As if his very strength was available to them in a time of trial. As if life by his spirit was more important than anything that this world could have to offer. I mean, they, they were not safe by all accounts, but yet they refused to play it safe. 
God's promises meant more to them than their health or their, their stuff. Joy trumped their suffering. Hope overcame their poverty through the hardest of times. They loved with Christ-like compassion. Those were the early days. That's how it started. And now, we're a little ways down the road. Some time has passed. And, and the writer is urging them on to say, don't let all of that become a thing of the past. Don't you dare let your dreams turn into doubts. Don't you dare lose your nerve and settle for some domesticated version of the faith that you had at first. No way. So, so don't, don't throw away your, your confidence and your daring because it will be richly rewarded. See, you, you need to persevere so that when you've dared to do the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And as God reminds us in the scriptures, my righteous ones will live by faith. I don't take pleasure in those who shrink back. But we, we don't belong to those who shrink back and settle and hunker down. No, no, not to the ones that are destroyed. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. We belong to those who dare. It's the essence of who we are. We're not people who shrink back. No, Christmas is real. Easter is real. God's Spirit is alive and well, and He lives in you. We don't belong to those who shrink back, but to those who dare to live as if God is real. It's evident that the writer of Hebrews, when he looks at the church, he sees a community of people who, who would always be like egging one another on and encouraging one another. He, he says, this, this is what we've got to do. We've got to hold unswervingly, unrelentingly to the hope that we profess because the one who promised is faithful. The one who makes promises to us about our future. Same one who we've seen make, uh, deliver on his promises that he's made to us in the past. And so let's consider then how we could spur one another on. In other words, how we could dare one another toward, toward greater love and, and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. Some have fallen out of the habit of doing the thing that we're doing right now, but, but don't give that up. Keep encouraging one another and do it all the more. Dare one another all the more as you see the day approaching, as you look forward to the new creation God has promised coming in all of its fullness. Let's be a community that dares one another to trust and to have great faith, always spurring one another on toward further good and deeper love and stronger hope, living the adventure of faith until we don't have to have faith anymore because God has brought about what he promised and we've seen it with our own two eyes. Is that the kind of community that you imagine the church to be? Associated with, with words like daring, and bold, and strong, and persevering, and relentless, and known for their uncommon love and goodness? Or has it become something different than that? If, if you're not a, a Jesus follower, is that what you assume that this thing is all about? Or, or does it instead seem a disappointing shadow of what it was meant to be? The writer of Hebrews throwing a dare in the face of people who say they have faith, but who uh, have already begun or are at least being tempted to play it safe, to become complacent or, or callous, or to drift away entirely from the only real source of life and hope. And they may not even be conscious of how their worldly concerns or comfort is diminishing their faith, but the writer, he sees what's going on. J just like, like i got to be able to see 
When my contentment, my, my mood is tied to my circumstances, I'm not living as if God is real. When I'm complaining about my needs not being met instead of meeting the needs of others, I'm not living as if God is real. And I need to be dared to get over myself and get a bigger vision for life. When I see an opportunity to do good or to bring justice or to show mercy, but I'm too uh, complacent or cowardly or apathetic to do what I know is right, I'm not living as if God is real. And I need to be dared to act. When I stop being generous because, well, I'm afraid I won't have enough for myself to make life worthwhile for me, then I'm not living as if God is real. When uh, the offerings that I give to God are just the leftovers, you know, after I get everything else covered, and then if there's anything left, I'll give it. I'm not living as if God is real, as if he's first, as if he can be trusted. And, And I need to be dared out of my scarcity mindset, or I run the risk of missing the adventure and the intimacy with God that he wants me to have. When I just uh, mindlessly accumulate more stuff, I'm not living as if God's eternal promises are real. I'm living as if temporary stuff is real and as if it's the most important and if it's the key to making me happy. And I need to be dared to, to simplify, to purge, lest I become a slave locked down to the fear of losing what I can never keep anyway. When I, uh, when I do come to understand myself as... as loved by God and a child of God and and made for a purpose by the grace of God and I entrust myself to Christ uh, in the adventure of faith through baptism. But but then I I settle into living as if my value and my identity uh, are dependent upon my accomplishments or my busyness or my status or what other people think or my Facebook facade. I'm not living as if God is real. And I need to be dared to return to a belief that God is who he says he is and that I am who God says I am. When I'm just going through the motions, managing appearances, playing fast and loose with my convictions, depending on who's walking, who's watching, I'm not living as if God is real. I need to be dared out of my cowardice or my hubris or my indifference to actually take hold of a life that's worth living. I don't know where you find yourself at the beginning of this year, or if any of that sounds familiar, or or what if God is saying something different to you uh, about something that's keeping you from realizing a fulfillment in the life that God has for you, but are you ready to take the dare and trust God in 2020? It will take faith. And faith as you might already know, because it's a pretty famous verse in the Bible, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's the beginning of a pretty famous chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. This is the first verse. And what follows is kind of like a hall of fame, or a hall of faith, rather. It'll be worth to to walk through it quick uh, as we finish here. Uh, Eighteen specific people are mentioned. And then a whole, a whole host of other people are referred to uh, different groups. All of them uh, lived and acted and obeyed and had courage and sacrificed and suffered and, and led and died by faith. It's by faith. A lot of them you would know, even if you've never read, read the Bible. Uh, Noah, by faith, he dared to do what others thought laughable. And he built a boat to save his family. Abraham, he, he dared to leave the, the, the comfort and the familiarity of 
his own home and, and this, the security and the livelihood of staying in, in a place where he was respected and known to go to a place that God would show him, a foreign land, for a purpose much greater than himself. By faith, he and his wife Sarah dared to live as if God's promises were real, even though they were a long time in coming. Uh, Moses, by faith, he dared to give up treasures and palace life so that he might live and suffer with his people only to then rise up and lead his people to freedom. And then there were many others who, by faith, dared to win victories and conquer kingdoms and overcome insurmountable odds. Yes, they dared to do the great and mighty deeds that history is fond to remember. But neither has history forgotten those who, by faith, dared to trust God to the bitter end. They suffered and died. They were mocked and beaten and imprisoned. They were stoned and persecuted and impoverished, yet they were fueled by a hope of resurrection. They, too, fill this hall of faith, a, a community of people from every era. And whether they were at the top of the heap or the bottom of the pile, they all have two things in common. Number one, they're dead now. And number two, th they all uh, lived and died as if God's promises were real, even though none of them saw the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in Christ. They had confidence in what they could not see. They dared to live as if God is real. And their legacy continues up through today, up through the 195-year history of this church. By faith, Samuel Rogers and James McVeigh dared to ride on horseback from Kentucky to start making disciples in Maryland. That's how Mountain began. They haven't even gotten to see what's become of their daring acts of faith. By faith, Albert Norton dared to give up the security of this country and of his role as lead pastor of this church to go in 1882 and launch churches in India and later in Japan. By faith, ten years later, a group from Mountain dared to pull themselves away from the familiar church community that they had and go start a new one in Fork, Maryland. Fork Christian Church, a thriving church just down the road. Started in 1892. And by faith, Mountain has dared to help launch many more churches since then, including 18 in the last 19 years. Sometimes uh, with people uprooting from the place where they know and where they have grown up to go and help uh, spread God's blessing in a new area. By faith, mountain people sponsor over 3,000 children globally so that they might receive nourishment and education and health care and be surrounded by a community of faith and have the opportunity to grow up and realize a future that they would otherwise never see so that they could grow up and take their own dares of faith. By faith, our own uh, Jill Shuck, she, she started a baking business a few years ago. And then, by faith, she went to Kenya on a trip this, this last year. Many of us have been there to partner with Missions of Hope International. And, and when she heard, unexpectedly heard them talking about their dreams to start this program to train bakers and, and entrepreneurs so that they could start businesses and create livelihoods for their families there in the slums, she dared to speak up. And by faith, she dared to come home and quit her job working with us so that she could be available at strategic times throughout the year to travel to Kenya and lead the launch and sustaining of this program, which starts this month. By faith, so many others have dared to follow God's promptings and serve and give 
and love in Jesus' name and, and dared to launch new ministries and new campuses, which we're daring to do again in 2020. And we'll be talking all year about how we can spur one another on to help that dream become a reality. I don't know what all that might mean for each of us specifically, but in light of the fact that we're surrounded by so many examples of daring faith, let us throw off everything that would hold us back, anything that would cause us to settle or to live in scarcity, anything that would keep us from trusting God and dare to believe that he is alive and at work in this place and in each of us. Let's dare to live as if his promises are real, as if the life to which he calls us is the only life worth living. Let's, let's dare to do whatever practical things God is prompting us to do. Maybe we got to get out of debt. we got to rearrange our schedule so we have some margin. we got to shift our priorities. we got to get in a group. we got to start something. we got to stop something. Plant, prune, serve, lead, give, continue maintaining the habit of gathering with the church to worship every week. Whatever God might be saying to you. Would you listen to how God is prompting you in the early weeks of this year? And then would you dare to live 2020 as if God is real? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the ways that uh, you're at work among us and for uh, so many examples of faith down throughout history. Some of them we know from your scriptures. Uh, some of them held positions of high esteem and had much power and much wealth, and they used it for good uh, by faith and trust in you. And some uh, were on the other side and didn't have much to speak of or had no status or no name to even be remembered, but yet they were faithful and you used them. So wherever we find ourselves with feeling like we got a lot or we got a little, help us to have lots of faith and bold hope and trust in you. And would you use us for your purpose to spread your blessing in any way that you see fit? And for those of us who maybe have a story of faith that's kind of in the past, something that used to be, would you rekindle something in us so that we might trust like you are real, like living for you is the most important and most worthwhile thing that we could do. Don't let us settle. Don't become, let us become complacent. Don't let us be scared. Call us to dare to live as if you are real, as if you can be trusted. Let that be true of this year for each of us individually and for us as Mountain Christian Church. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.